Live from Guttercat Studios in the Metaverse, it's time for another episode of the Crazy About Crypto Show. And now here's your host, Crazy Carl. Hey, yo, what is going on? It's so good to see everyone flowing into this space. And if you're listening to the podcast, hello from all around the world. And welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. Today's guest is an illustrator, comic artist, toy designer, and author. He has been in the business for decades, but is best known for creating the well-known Ugly Doll characters. His work is featured around the world, and his bossy bear character is making its way to Nickelodeon Jr. in 2022. Even with all of this success, he sees the power of Web3 and has already been an active community member in this ecosystem, creating NFTs, engaging with the community, and even becoming a frequent live audience member of the Crazy About Crypto show. It's my honor to finally share the stage with someone I've quickly become close friends with, David Horvath. What is going on, David? What's happening? Uh, thank you very much for having me today. It's very exciting. Big, big fan of the show. It's it's my, like I said, it, it replaced my, uh, com- you know, I don't really have a commute, but it's that it, you are the radio show that I'm looking forward to every day. That's awesome. I mean, it means the world, especially coming from someone like you, that I've uh, been able to make you feel like that. And and it's just an honor uh, to have people in this journey where you find use in education from all the guests that we have on here. And now you uh, have the opportunity to help others learn from your journey. And I'm so excited about that. So let's just hop right in. And I'd love for you to start by just chatting a little bit about your journey into um, the crypto space, if that kind of, if you dabbled in crypto at all, or if NFTs was really when you first started to get into it. Just talk to us a little bit about your entire journey in the space. Sure, of course. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine who heads up the USA side of Sanrio back in um, maybe February. And we were talking about maybe starting up something and looking at certain websites and he sent me a link to nifty gateway and i i had never heard of what an nft is i i must admit i the the idea that there you could offer an original of your digital art just from the moment i first took a look at the website um blew my mind and i just wanted to make sure that that's what i was even looking at at first i, mm-hmm. I just didn't you know I, I so i started from zero in february and have been completely hooked where you know even though i'm still very much in the legacy world and and spend you know any time that i'm not with my kids or making artwork for our nft work i'm working on our show um and it's interesting to have a foot in both at the at the same time and to kind of have conversations with with those who are very much like at the top of their game but in in the very in in that legacy world right and then to then get to interface with you and to listen to what you, pre- people you bring on to your show. Um, 4156 was a very early mentor. Um, mm-hmm. Just as far as my journey to get here. Um, it, yeah, so uh, my friend of mine, uh, Craig, he heads up, San, heads up San Rio and he said, well, check out this nifty gateway thing. I said, well, what the heck is 
NFTs. What does what, so right? I went through that whole thing. Um, at the same time, a friend of mine who'd been trying to get me into cryptocurrency um, when we were living in Korea, uh, I finally started listening when I realized that that was the kind of backbone of upon which all of this is built. Mm-hmm. So then I finally started paying attention to him and and you know the whole wallet story that, that everybody goes through. <laughs> uh, but but the idea, because. For the last 20 years, while we've been running our character business, we've been we had a toy company uh, which turned into a whole uh, brand that uh, was like a licensed brand. It was on everything from lunch boxes to you know, there, were, there was a, a theatrical release movie, animated movie that came out a couple of years ago, uh, and and a big component of that were art shows. So we would um, be invited to all these gallery shows. But I would always have to hang my print next to a painting. Uh, I could never hang an original because my work is digital. And I never really felt bad about it because I was very honored to be invited to these gallery shows in the first place. But it did feel a little funny to always kind of sort of settle for having to hang a print up. And the way I understood NFTs first was that I could finally offer our fans and and now new collectors and new friends um, originals of my digital work and that the idea of being able to do that just absolutely blew me away where I don't think I slept for like two days in a row just trying to absorb and and that clubhouse thing was just coming up like I think in March or so and, and I just uh, I couldn't I couldn't believe it I still can't believe it and and every day when I wake up I, I quickly check to make sure that it's all still there <laughs> because I never want it to go away and it's just been this incredible learning experience where it can be exhausting mm-hmm. just because I have never learned so much new information, especially at this age. You know, I'm, I'm 50. So it's but I feel like a kid in school on the first day <laughs> of school every single day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we all do. And it's it's funny because uh, I, one thing I do love, even though you've is that you've been in the business for t- almost over 20 years at this point and you've been. I mean, you've been grinding and you've been working hard in the legacy world, uh, and it's so hard to break down barriers. So I'd love for you just to chat for a minute about, you know, um, what's so entrancing about the blockchain and how it just kind of captured you once you started to understand really the tech of this ledger that, you know, you could actually mint and there's the provenance aspect. And um, I'd love for you just to chat about kind of your journey in understanding the blockchain, because it sounds like once you understood that, then the conviction was there about, you know, the potential of NFTs and everything else that's to come. Yes, absolutely. Um, we were very fortunate that 4156 discovered our work um, really early, maybe in the third week, where up until that point, we really only had one or two collectors out of over 20 years, millions, uh, who have interfaced with our work or have been fans or customers or of some sort, right? But really, we like we went into this room in Facebook. It's like a secret private room where there's a few... Um, I don't know if there's quite a hundred, but like really hardcore collectors who've been with us for decades. And from that group, we were really only able to bring two over. And so I was kind of just making, (laughs) minting things, but with no real audience, but also not caring. I mean, to not minding that, that, that it wasn't really uh, moving or selling it. It was more about just learning and, and, 
especially discovering the people involved, that, that became a big part of it, that when we did eventually start to suddenly sell well and attract um, a lot of new collectors, and they were mostly new collectors, um, we realized that these were not transactions, that these were connections, like human connections. And, and human connections that were so new to us when you, when you think about where we've come from over the last 20 years in the very real world, where we were constantly at Comic-Con and trade shows, at toy fairs, toy fair in America, in Germany, in Tokyo, uh, trade shows in, in Seoul and all, all over Europe. But that, there was something about the connection with many of these anonymous individuals who are really almost like just numbers in a picture when you look at them on Twitter, but just the ideas, change of information and the relationships that we built with them so quickly and especially with our collectors just absolutely blew me away. Like I, I can't believe that that's such a major component of this. That I can't believe that this exists, but that that ended up being the biggest part of it. I still, I still can't get over it. And that's the part that I just never want to ever go away. Uh, I, I, you know, if, if, any, if no matter what, changes in how we're going down the road and if if the masses really are coming and if big companies really are on the way i, I really hope that that part maintains mm, or even continues to grow yeah it's so important and it's a it's a, i think that's a, that weight falls on us a lot of times because we are the pioneers of this movement and it's uh, it is up to us to really protect that um you know, that authenticity that, uh, like you said, that the feel of it is so different, is so genuine, is so, so authentic, and uh, is so organic. Um, one thing that I love is you're, you're on this show. I mean, you've won uh, numerous uh, toy awards over the years. I mean, you the Ugly Doll series is very well known. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, e even in the crypto and NFT space, with what your guys have created in the legacy world. But it is so f interesting just hearing your thoughts, because when you come into this space, it is almost like a level, like you're you're like having to organically find that audience uh, once again and and kind of build from the ground up. Um, and you have, like you said, you have all of these really um, big fans of your guys' work from over the years, uh, but now you're finding almost a new audience. And so I'd love for you just to talk about how... Um, even just starting out, how those connections in Web3, how you're able to interact with your collectors feels different than in the legacy world where you know your, you know your sales numbers, but you don't necessarily know the stories and the people behind you know, that are collecting your items until you, know, you actually have a big event where you bring everyone in. Yes, oh, that, that's, that was big. I mean, that's something we talk about every day all the time and we still can't get over is that essentially we, we've started fresh from zero again really um and when i explain to my family members especially my sister who's also a creator and i tell her like oh my god you gotta you gotta see like what's happening you gotta look look at this uh look look, look at what's happening here and sh sh at first she said yeah but aren't you just isn't it just the same people you're bringing over because you you're already widely known in this xyz you know, formula in this part of the world. And there's no, it's, it's that I'm sure there are some, actually we've found that some were kids that grew up with what we, that what we used to do or that still do. But 
that we've kind of just started over. And it's, it's, it's starting over, I think, was just the most exciting part of it, that it was not going to be, because it forced us to, well, it wasn't really force. We, we, we jumped right into just telling the, a story that we couldn't really tell before. We couldn't express ourselves, first of all, by like the idea of relaying original digital art blew us away. And then learning about how you could um, really, really make connections with people. When, when we produced products, right, we would have fan events like UglyCon in Los Angeles uh, every other year and uh, in Tokyo every other year. And, you know, there'd be this incredible line around the block of hundreds of people. But and, and these were like the the super fans who just knew the most about what we were doing. And, and we were extremely appreciative. Um, but then a after that show, we would, you know, if there were some message boards or or it was very it, there, the, the fan base was not really one connected uh, piece of fabric they were just kind of scattered and as individuals you know across the globe and we we kind of had to go make these pit stops to kind of check in with them but it was all very brief like mm -hmm. say a five minute conversation with someone versus this format where we can really talk long form for a long time and i can keep checking in on how you're all doing it's it's yeah it's completely different uh and i've had to relearn everything I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I hope, you know, I've already talked to a couple people that have heard this show on the podcast first and then came over, but it's a different feel One when you're buying NFTs or crypto and you're just doing it off of a platform and you're doing it to collect or to flip and make money. But then once you get on crypto Twitter or you get into discords, it's a whole different world because that's when you that's when it clicks of what what uh, this movement and what when people say Web3, what they mean. I, it's funny because uh, when Facebook announced uh, their platform, their metaverse platform, I went on to Facebook because I never get on to Facebook anymore. Just to kind of uh, troll Facebook, honestly. But uh, but I was talking about Web three, and like I had maybe one or two people like my post, and no one really knew anything of what I was talking about because they spend all their time on Facebook. But when you get into these like new worlds, it becomes clear of like where things are moving. And uh, I'd love for you just talk about you know kind of your journey. One, you you started to get into NFTs. You found you know the power of Nifty Gateway being on the blockchain, and then you you've kind of um you've talked about it a little bit but when when did you first like start interacting and talking to people on twitter was 4156 kind of your first one and then you just kept getting to know other community members um and i'd love just to hear just how much you know crypto and nft twitter has played a part in your role because a lot of people forget how important it is um that the connections really happen off of the blockchain the blockchain is just what allows everything to connect together but these platforms where we're all connecting are so important in the whole journey absolutely also uh, there's a windstorm so if if i'm not coming through perfectly i'll switch to cell service you gotta let me know um no, you're but still good the, for now. Crypto Twitter, as as they say, is so critical. Um, yeah, I, I'm not really on Clubhouse so much anymore. I've realized that I really am just. A, it is really crypto Twitter and and NFT Twitter, and and here's where everybody is. But I've heard, especially in Clubhouse, somehow maybe just because I don't check in that often, there will be these rooms with uh, creators who are 
maybe having a hard time, right? That they do their best work and they put everything up and they're putting everything out there and they put their heart into it, uh, but then they're not really seeing sales as they would put it, right? And as, as I've heard that more, I've come to form this opinion that if I were to come across anyone starting now, I would suggest that they don't really look for sales, uh, that they actually look for connections. And Twitter, uh, tw Twitter, Twitter, uh, NFT Twitter is is the place where, if you're perhaps maybe, in my opinion, here to express yourself and and you want to create and do your best work, that at the same time I would spend as much time or more, uh, which is what what I really enjoy doing just because nothing I was putting out there was moving, which I was okay with. So I spent a lot of time looking and searching and, and you know, like 4156 reached out, Strawberry bought something. I think he was our third customer. And once I went down the rabbit hole of looking into who these, uh, you know, people are and, and who they follow and why do they follow them and, and just every other person that was on the follow list was an absolutely in incredible either thinker in this space with theories almost like jedi level uh, approaches to and, and wisdom to pass on right to uh, or to absorb uh, all the way to up and coming creators who maybe really only had one or two sales on their own but i found irresistible and i i started to actually become a collector uh, in a first and and that's that's what i would recommend to anyone entering now is yeah, do your best work and, and bring us everything you've got, especially now in this world with no middleman and there's no, there's kind of no one stopping you from doing so. But I think a big part of it is then taking a look around at who the big names are, but then maybe who other up and coming creators might be and trying to just resonate with or find those who you kind of vibe with, as they say, or resonate with and and just kind of, be uh, an active member as one can be, you know, early on uh, to, to see if you find those that you kind of connect with. So I, I think, uh, at least for us, that that is what led to us doing well to the degree where like this, this could just be our career. I, we could just go do this. And that, that blows my mind. I, I, I can't believe, I mean, the thing that blows my mind the most is hearing and reading these other creators write that, hey, I've been doing this for 10 years and this is the first time I've been able to like support myself. And at the same time, it's the first time that I've found a real connection with this many other creators who are going through the same thing. And just that all hits you at the same time. It's, it's almost overwhelming, really. Um, and, and to those who are, you know, perhaps doing their best, but not not seeing the activity that they may see from afar happening for others, I would say that it is all about others and, and that, that, that connection, I believe is going to end up being uh, the greatest part of the journey. And then I, and then whatever happens happens. Right. Yeah. I love, I mean, there's so many things that you're touching on that are so important. And one of them being um, when you talk about people in this space that talk about being in the industry for years or have been creating art or their craft for uh, five to 10 years, but never really being able to uh, 
get the income that they deserve because there are so many middlemen. You were talking a little bit about the legacy system. And one thing that definitely resonates is that, uh, and I'm sure you can chat about this, is you know, in, in the legacy system, connections are just as important as in Web3. But in the legacy system that we're coming from, it's all about connections with the middlemen and people that essentially are, uh, maybe they're helping you grow, but they're also taking a cut from everything that you do just because you have to, you know, you need to use them to get to where you, the audience that you are looking for. In Web3, the connections you're making are direct to consumer. They're with the people that actually appreciate the artwork and so it's a whole different type of connection that's being made which means that you know as a creator one you're you're finding more meaningful connections but then also uh, there's no middleman all the people that you had to deal with before uh, that really just cared about your creation so that they could earn a cut those people are gone so now it's all just about genuine authentic relationships and you don't ever have to share you know the the product of your work uh, with and splitting the cut with someone else to to uh, market for you well yeah you explain it incredibly well it's and it's it's you know it is a, the cut and the middleman and all that is a big part of it that's a major component but it's also the time and the speed um the the legacy world unless you're really like with ugly doll we 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 operated with tremendous speed um there was a uh, action figure deal that just had to get done early on that I knew um, that if, if we made these figures and presented them by this show, that they would mean something to that audience and that would help me get to the next thing, yada, yada. And then so I, I, just, I just brute forced it to happen at a certain speed. But as, as we grew and started to open up more to the legacy world, things really started to slow down. Uh, the process of making uh, TV shows while while an absolute joy, um, you know, we've had we had one show, we had a morning preschool show in Japan 20 years ago on NHK, and then we have one coming out um, next year, the, and the one that's coming out next year went beautifully. It's with Ron Howard's Imagine, incredible producers. The whole experience has been almost flawless. Uh, learning what I've learned, I know that the experience I'm having with, with this is flawless. And we started in 2018. So 2018 was start time and, and the, you know, hit, get the airwaves will be mid 22. So that's, that's, and there's, there, there've been shows that have come about quicker uh, with, with a shorter timeline, but in general, the legacy world just moves so slowly. If you're making toys, if you're making anything, a physical thing, especially these days, you're like, if I'm making a toy right now, it's for mid 2013, early 14, right? I'm sorry, for what year am I in? Uh, 23, 23, 24. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going well, back in time. Yeah, no, that tells you what year I had in 2013. <laughs> yeah. I still can't shake it. <laughs> but, but these that the process is just so slow and mm -hmm. yeah, you can call them middlemen, but there's just certain um, processes and, and people that you have to, or that you probably end up using. Like if you're in entertainment um, you know, we have, we have an incredible agent at CAA and that's an incredible company, uh, really talented people. It, the whole experience is just, um, we're very fortunate to even know where that building is in the first place. Right. It's beautiful. But, 
but that that process and that world and and everything connected to it while connected um it's going to take a very long time when i hear a lot of successful creators from this world mention um getting getting their own show or getting their own toy line or 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 licensing program as like the next step uh if that's like a dream they've always had i i totally get it and that's great that if that's what they've always wanted to do and then this world's success in this world allows them to now go do that that's tremendous uh but for some i've heard as kind of like coming from this world having tremendous success here and then well now maybe we can go get a show i i, I but like to look at that as some sort of um next higher level of achievement when i would quietly think to myself man i like a lot of the people who I know who make their own shows, who work on shows, who, who make toys, who are in the licensing world, would dr- like dream to come come up in their opinion to where we are now. Right? This this world is uh, a an escape <laughs> for 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 many of them that they mm. would you know love to be able to 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 do what we are doing someday. So it's interesting to hear kind of the same thing from both sides. Yeah. Um, I definitely see this world as um, the next the next step up, and and it to me feels like the future. It definitely feels like a replacement for a lot of the consumer product world that I came from, for sure. Um, but it's it, it it is a blessing. Uh, but you know, for those who want whose dream is to exist in the legacy world and to do those things, maybe there's a way to do it in a new way here that has yet to be explored. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, in the legacy world, there's a lot of bureaucracy, right? And and that's what the, all these guardrails and speed bumps that get put in your way of getting to where you want. But now uh, I feel like one thing that is becoming more clear is that uh, as more and more people find this uh, platform and this niche in the community, you see a lot of people, and I think we'll continue to see that the market moves faster because there's those... Uh, all of those road bumps uh, are just taken out. And so now it's just a matter of when do we find, you know, the toy designer and, you know, you like, for example, you have connections probably with some of these companies. And so when one, when some of these companies come in and, and then they just make it their mission from now on, they're just working with these creators to help them bring to reality and make connections directly with them to help them out. I think that's kind of like the next evolution, right? And we all kind of become an Island where each, um, wherever you find and ha- you can add value, you're going to do. And we already have seen that a little bit with Artifact, uh, with them creating a shoe line and actually creating physical shoes that are really amazing because they came from kind of that legacy system already. So it's just a matter of those people finding the space just like you have. And now you have connections, you talking to people, and uh, it's almost like we just pull them into our realm instead of having to try to go out into the into the legacy system and build out there. I don't know what your yeah. thoughts are. Do you think that is kind of the next evolution is people just keep coming into this space and finding ways to add value? Absolutely. I, I think so. I think that we'll be bringing in manufacturing, uh, manufacturers, uh, those who know. Like right now, if you were to bring in people I know from the toy world, let's say you wanted to make um, a plush out of whatever the top five projects are listed there on OpenSea. 
um, even just to make a plush doll, which doesn't require tooling or anything, you're you're looking at, um, you know, not not even taking into account how the boats can't get into the harbors right now. But in general, you're looking at like eight months to uh, a year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. But on the other, like the shoe example is a great example of how maybe we can start to kind of reshape the the physical world's execution when it comes to um, making things, where if we are going to make things, maybe there is a better way, a, a better solution. But because really anyone who comes in from my world, anyone who enters this space and starts to understand it, everything that they based what they know on is going to get broken up and, and reshuffled. And I think that if enough of them come over, I think it's going to open up an opportunity for everything to kind of be rethought from the ground up, which would be very exciting. So maybe it doesn't have to take a year and a half anymore, right? Uh, may maybe there will be new ways to meld uh, manufacturing in the real world with with this one. And I think you'll see a lot of collectibles, like mugs. I, I, want, I want a cool cat mug real mm -hmm. bad. Uh, plush toys are kind of always going to be there. I think preschool toys are now going to skyrocket because there will be more shelf space. Because I, I honestly think that like the collectibles market, like you know, collectibles for adults are like thirty percent of Hasbro's, like of everything that they they produce. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I can only imagine that in a very short time, and for me, short is maybe in half a decade or so, that a lot of that's going to be replaced with just collecting things virtually. And we we here in this room may be the fathers and mothers of what's to come when it comes to satisfying that. Like we all here in this room may be not the next Hasbro, but the first, whatever it is, that's going to, you know, like you think of Mattel and Hasbro, these are brands that we've grown up with since we were, you know, we knew what a brand was. Right. But I think that everyone here is going to end up creating what it is that the next generation is going to be growing up with and, and kind of think in that same way. Right. So I, I think there's definitely going to be a, a better way to work with the real world. I definitely think the middleman and what, the middle person is going to uh, disappear in in many ways. Not not all, but many in many uh, avenues, especially the world that I came from is going to completely change, I think. Uh, and then and then I think we're just going to build this new, better one on top of everything or just not even on top of it, but down the road in its own future. I, I'm, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think it was uh, Jacob Martin, the NFT attorney that was on, that was talking about how, you know, we almost become our own island of people producing different things. And then like Disney or these big companies have to come to our island and be like, will, will you let us, you know, we can we buy this from you? And it's like, well, we can decide. And it's kind of a crazy thing because that's so different from the world we've come in where everyone else is telling us what we need to do or how to do it uh, and and trying to make things um, come to a reality that aren't our vision. And so I'd love for you just to chat a little bit about uh, being in Web3 and now you're creating your own um, kind of a world within the metaverse, if you will, uh, with the project that you've been working on. I'd love for you to talk about kind of the creative uh, journey of being able to have that freedom to just create what you want and not have to worry about running it by different people and different avenues and just being able to let those creative juices flow and tell us a little bit about this world that you're creating in the metaverse 
Sure, of course. Um, this one collection that we have, it's on our main, um, the Sunman and David Verified collection. Uh, we've been building a neighborhood uh, that consists of all the buildings that have appeared in all of our past books. We had all these, we had book series out from Random House and from Abrams books and from Chronicle books over the last 20 years or so. And in whether it was Ugly Doll or from our little bony show in Japan or the Bossy Bear books or the, the dozens of different toy lines that we've made in Japan and in Hong Kong over the years, there have been these sort of buildings in a very similar illustrative style that have these bizarre themes to them. And we thought, well, let's let's build the actual neighborhood where all of those buildings exist and, and just kind of document that as because we, we'd get tons of questions, even just from legacy fans over the last 20 years, like, well, where, why do these buildings all have that red and white awning? And why is everyone walking down the same direction down the, the, down the street? And what, what, what does all this mean? So we decided to kind of answer it through, through our uh, artwork by, by building this actual neighborhood. Uh, and then what we do is when we get to a, a, a building at the end of the street, if it's time to build, say, on a corner lot, We'll offer, like right now, um, I think there's two of them now, where you buy, you you acquire a a, a construction worker, and uh, or a construction crew, and then there's like an empty lot, and then if you acquire that, you tell us what you would like to have built there. So on once we get to every, we'll, we'll do whatever we do in you know uh, of, for all the other properties, but then in the <clears throat> on every corner, we'll. We'll leave that open to the to the uh, to our collectors, right? So our collector can say, "I want to have a like one of them was just a a penguin theme park, and they had a list of things they wanted to find there, and so we did that. Um, we had one request which was kind of like a a Pepe ish frog, <laughs> yeah, um, um, you know, uh, just like a a, a, a like a like a Central Park, but for frogs, mm-hmm. right? And 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 um, they had a they had a list of what they were hoping to see, so we got a real kick out of doing that. And that's not something we could have done with our old, you know, with the books. It's more like you just work on it for a year, you wait another year for it to come out, and then by the time it hits the bookstores, you're already into the second or third thing, and it, everything's kind of time released. It's it's just very different. Whereas this is almost in real time, where we're interacting with our collectors and now even working with them to yeah. and they're they're influencing our work and and we're really working for them that's been really fascinating so that that's been a collection we've been having a lot of fun with that we're about 10% of the way through or so yeah it is it's uh, it's so fun to see all the different buildings the little characters that you've got and you kind of start to see it and i know it's probably weird because i'm sure collectors i know i asked you you know what are your plans is this going to be is this like a community where you're going to get to go in is it like a metaverse world and it's got to be interesting cuz people asking you those types of things and <laughs> as a creator that has worked in the legacy system you know how many years it takes to make some of these actual uh, things come <laughs> true so it's like what is it like when people are asking these things and you're like oh wow yeah i mean yeah that's probably something that we'd like but everything's so fast-paced in the metaverse that it's gotta that has to be a little overwhelming at times too when people are are asking okay so what's the plan what's the roadmap what do you've got planned (laughs) well i i i yeah i we think about that all the time um you know given given my age i i still my hand doesn't really shake yet uh my eyesight is okay 
but I but I, I'm also very aware of the the time I have left versus the day <laughs> the days behind me. And so and and also like you said, yes, those those things take years, even when you know exactly what to do. Uh, so for most of our uh, new uh, NFT based artwork and for the new properties that we make, um, it's just open source. So yes, I would love to uh, on our own at some point find a way to bring these buildings out of the two dimensions and and to actually be able to walk down these neighborhoods, right? If that's if that's what's enough of our collectors would like that to experience that, then I've got to find a way to make that happen, right? Like if they're really into that, then I I, I want to make them happy. I'm I'm just completely immersed in in you know being being with them and talking to them about our work and discovering other work through them. So if they call for it, then I, I've got to find a way to make it happen. But the likelihood of me actually being able to do that <laughs> in a timely manner is is minimal. So we've made uh, the rights on our new collections completely open. Um, and so with, with the, not the expectation, but the hope that perhaps uh, there would be uh, teams out there that if there was interest, that they might be able to take it the step further that we we just have not been able wouldn't be able to just given you know like the the Nicolo, the the show that we're working on bossy bear um based on our kids books from 20 years ago that's that takes 24 7 and then the nft stuff takes 24 7 and then our kids take 24 7 so we've got three layers of 24 7 already <laughs> so yeah and... what, what what you see me putting out is already me putting my my absolute heart and best into that you know w- what i can do so so yeah. at the same time we make it all open yeah i love that and i mean that is I mean, there's so many projects that you see starting to do that now or giving the ip rights to the collectors and it's just uh, it's amazing you know being how open this community is and and allowing them to kind of help build off of each other and building that community and then finding other artists that can help collaborate and take things to the next level i just love that outlook um you were just talking too a little bit about you know at your age as well and and i think it's so fascinating I think one of the coolest things is anytime I, I meet someone that, you know, is if you look at the space, it's a lot of, you know, 20 to 35 year olds, I'd say. So once we get over that, it's like I, I automatically have a lot of respect because uh, it's hard enough to talk to. I've got a neighbor who's, you know, in their young 30s and, uh, you know, talking to even people in their 20s that understand and grown up around tech that still kind of uh, don't understand the, the tech with um, blockchain and even kind of make fun or they don't take time to really understand it. And here you are, um, you know, the whole a whole generation ahead with it being 50 and i'm just curious you know talking to other people and and trying to explain what's happening to um people in the real world uh what that's like and how they how they've responded with all the success that you've had and now you're talking about blockchain um if your reputation has you know been able to allow people to listen to what you've said or if people do still act kind of like you know that this is crazy and don't understand at all and then after this uh, answer i'll also we'll start bringing some people up so if you have a question hit that request button and and we'll bring up some community members to ask david a question as well well i've had two really memorable conversations about the, me being in this world uh, sunmin and i being in this world together uh one was from our our lawyer and um, who's wonderful. 
and she was like, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what do you mean open source, no copyright? I mean, that that's, goes against every fabric of my being. It's like, well, look, the, the Bossy Bear stuff that we made through our Disney books 20 years ago, we're working with a team of hundreds of people and we're, we're holding on to those rights. And I, we still believe that if a creator feels that it's necessary or desirable, you know, and in many cases it might be to hold on to their rights, then we're, we're all for that. Um, and the idea of making everything open when it comes to rights with our new work, it was originally me poking at some old ideas more uh, than anything else originally. You know, in, in art school, we were taught that holding on to your rights is absolutely everything. But then we were also kind of taught that getting your own animated show is also everything. Uh, but then when you do t walk down the red carpet and you, you, if you are fortunate enough to get even one meeting with one of these network executives, which by itself is a miracle. And because it's known to be a miracle, you're kind of in this very grateful, in awe mode. And right away you realize that in general, uh, you're going to have to sign every bit of those rights away when it comes to whatever it is that you're pitching to them. Uh, there are exceptions like Peppa Pig was made by the animation company. An, an animation company was going through hard times and the, the two owners made Peppa Pig. So they made it on their own. And then, you know, the, the Nickelodeons and Cartoon Networks of the world were just the broadcasters and they worked out something, right? But if you're going in as a young creative person with just your ideas and, and not the funds to actually pay for most of the show to get made, you're, you're going to be, for the most part, giving those rights away. Like we, we had Ugly Doll and it was pretty ubiquitous with, we could show a certain percentage of the population, especially um, in the big cities in North America and especially in Japan and Korea. And even then it was a real challenge to hold on to, to certain rights without, without, you know, either having to go find the funding to pay for the whole thing. So po poking, I, I, the, the rights thing started as me wanting to kind of mess with the idea that we are, you know, telling art students one thing but then sending them into the lion's den to experience another thing. So it originally came from that. And, and what it turned into was this really joyous, like, I don't know if there was one epiphany, but just watching what the, the early derivative, like uh, I, I explained to 4156 that I wanted to do this. And it just happened to be, I think it was on Twitter, we were having a conversation or he brought it up that, you know, he said something like, the future belongs to those, terrible paraphrase, but like that, who, who let go of those certain rights, et cetera. And I immediately responded like, if you can wait 20 minutes, we were, we're not going to launch this until next week, but I'm going to launch this character called Uma. And literally the collection's called Uma No Copyright. And the idea that it's open, and if they're interested, other creators can go run with it. They, I mean, like right now, there's like an iMessage sticker pack that's been up there based on that collection done by a, a brilliant creator. Um, these other sculpture artists immediately went to work on um, making pottery. And then 4156 uh, actually funded a few uh, of these projects. Like he said, I'm, I'm going to fund the next, you know, X number of projects who want to turn David, Sunman and David's collection into, you know, the next, just something in the real world, something like that. And that, mm -hmm. That, that experience just opened up my mind to what, you know, 
instead of me just going, ha ha, poking fun at the idea of, you know, this to make my lawyer half crazy, what turned into what I think could really be the future where it could maybe perhaps be the most powerful move a creator could make. If you look at what Gremlin is doing, um, and it, this is still all theory, and it's not something I'm saying that everyone should go do, but I, I just find it completely fascinating. If you look at the Toads and how all these derivative projects, at least w when I look at what's happening with it, and I look at it through the filter of being in the IP business for 20 years, he he's in in our world. He has gained more attention than I could have. Like to get that much attention and to to become that ubiquitous, and I, I would have had to uh, do like 20 or 30 different licensing deals. It would have taken two years. It would have taken an enormous amount of legal fees to put it all together. And at the end of the day, I really would not have made that much back. Like the royalties that I would see back would maybe cover all the legal expenses, but those licensing deals would exist so that they bring attention to my core product. Like, you know, Sanrio, I don't, I don't have any inside information on Sanrio, but they make half the stuff and then half the other Sanrio Hello Kitty stuff is made by the licensing partners, right? Um, but, and I'm guessing, but based on just my experience, that it's highly likely that that licensing revenue at the end of the day when you think about overhead and all that it probably is a wash but it's there to bring attention to what it is that you do make right but it's this tremendous process requiring global trade shows and travel and infrastructure i mean you, you hear the talk about the energy expenditure of nfts and i'm like no 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 <laughs> you can't imagine <laughs> right. you can't imagine what just like moving the paint that has to go into just the packaging of one of these million things that we make. You can't imagine, like the, you wanna see energy expenditure. How much energy have I, I, th I think I've like literally saved the world by no longer making physical things and, mm -hmm. now, and now doing NFTs, I, I really think so. But the, not, not to get too off track, but the rights thing was a, a, a big one that my legacy, um, a, a couple pals and creative pals have been just like, I, I can't get my head around that, but just the idea of this existing in general, um, uh, that what NFTs are and that you can just create and it goes straight to your audience, straight to your collector, straight, mm -hmm. straight, whatever it is that you want to say creatively or whatever projects that you're making, there's really, for us, there's no, there's no overhead. There's the, there's my, like the computer that I already had anyway, right? And if it breaks, I, I gotta get another one. But there's no, there's no teams, there's no attorneys, there's no fees, and there's no waiting a year and a half to ship something. Mm -hmm. And that, that just completely, they, they, I think many of them, even, even at the very high level, still don't fully believe that what I'm saying is true. Yeah. That, that they think that Dave's just gone off his rocker and he's just exaggerating. <laughs> but 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 it's true and this is real and it, it's it, it one once that sits, settles in and I, I think the legacy world in the beginning is going to make the mistake of treating this as a licensing deal and i don't want to i don't want to it's, it's not necessarily a negative thing but there there are some very smart players kind of in this space who are look, appear to be in this space and they are there to receive 
these large companies who are very comfortable with certain licensing deals and a certain structure. So there's where we are, right, yeah, on OpenSea and then with just these individual projects minting and then the, the what, whatever goes along with that. And, and then there, there are these kind of other ecosystems, more like walled gardens that have been opening up that are there to kind of like catch the Disneys and the, you know, the big brands as they take a look to see, oh, we better be involved in that. That looks, you know, big. Um, and, and it's funny, I've talked to one, I spoke with one licensing agent uh, from pretty big studio. She actually believes that she is in the same exact world that we are in, right? And I said, well, no, you did a licensing deal with XYZ company and that's wonderful. And they have a whole separate group of collectors, but eh, it's not really, it's not really what we're doing. Mm -hmm. If, if you guys really jumped into where we are over here, you actually wouldn't really need to um, deal with any of what you just went through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. And it is, it's funny because there are certain, uh, there are certain middlemen that it seems like if they're, they, uh, they're going to try to hold on or find a way to incorporate this new world into what they do when really, you know, smart contracts and things like that can, uh, you know, almost take out the need for a lot of, uh, the work that they do. And so you're going to see people trying to figure out a way to make them feel necessary when, when in reality they're not. And it's, it's ironic that, uh, we call it the legacy world sometimes because really in order to create a legacy for ourselves uh, getting involved in web 3 in like this future world in in this as we continue to move more and more into a technological era uh, and evolve into you know almost a dissociation between um, mind and body it's it's kind of crazy because the legacy and creating the legacy is happening right here and the evolution of mankind as we know it is is happening happening in web three. And it's just so it's fascinating because you, you realize it and you get it. And you're like, I want to be a part of this because I think you understand that you're going to be able to create your own legacy because uh, everything that you put out there and all this stuff that's going to be open sourced will that you're putting out is going to be around after you're gone. And after we're all gone and, and people, other people are going to be able to continue to build off of kind of what we're creating and, and I think that's a, a really powerful thing that some people forget is that we are really creating the next legacy. We are creating and we're pioneering. It's just sometimes I think that's, uh, like you said, it's almost, it gets you giddy and so excited. You feel like a kid because all of what's happening right now, uh, we know uh, everyone that's here, this is going to be around hundreds of years from now. And the entire world in real life is going to look completely different. But this world online and this digital world, world is going to be like a booming and this like borderless world and ecosystem is going to be where everything's at and we see the writing on the wall but others don't and it's like this tension between the real world and where we're at which is why everyone posts these memes about you know I go to my normie friends and I end up talking about NFTs after 10 minutes but I think that's the reality is because we we know what's happening and it feel like everyone else is just out of touch at this point with what's what's a uh, bound and like bound to happen in the next five to 10 years. You know, the big stories like the Facebook and that that's extremely well put. And, and that's exactly, I think how it's playing out. And the, the Facebook story was fascinating, but those big stories in my, I mean, in my opinion are not really what's going to matter. It's the individuals in this room, right? It, 
if I scroll down, they, they are not the next Disney. They're going to make the first much bigger thing. And it, not bigger in scale or scope, but just it's going to be like how Steamboat Willie was, right? When you first saw that on the screen for the first time, and then the whole world changed, or when Star Wars hit the screen for the first time, and then the licensing world changed, that you'd, we're not waiting for Disney or Facebook to come in. You guys are already here. Uh, and, and bring your friends. Because uh, you know when, when individual artists come in and they make something that's just irresistible, it's, it's going to be absorbed in a way that I, I really could never really do in the physical world. Uh, it's so hard to get anyone to even notice anything. It's so much work. So if I'm going to do that much work, I, I'd rather us all do it here. And when I scroll down and I could just randomly touch any, any icon in here, that, that's the universal. That, to me, that's Warner Brothers. It's going to be uh, as much as they want it to be. That you make something delicious and irres ir ir irresistible and where people can't even look away. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be un this unstoppable force that turns into things that we can't even imagine. But that it, it's, it's not going to go away. I think it's really going to grow. Like, starting soon, where I think we're going to see how much individual creators can have this enormous impact and and honestly these these giant companies are going to have a lot of catching up to do and a lot of <laughs> learning to do like i have mm -hmm. uh if they want if they want to uh to to you know play along yeah, exactly. Uh, I love it. Um, all right, we're going to go ahead and get into a few questions. If you have a question, go ahead and hit that request button. And coming up, I'm going to start with a question here that's in the uh, in the post that's uh, up there at the top. So you can also post your question there if you can't come on stage. But let's go ahead and turn to Community Corner. Get your catnip and questions ready. It's time for you to take the stage for another segment of Community Corner. All right, so... This, uh, this post comes from Asterx, and they said, what materials are best for high-quality, limited-run collectibles, in your opinion? Oh, well, all right. In my opinion, well, we've made tons of toys, and um, we have a factory that's for the plush that's based in Korea, and then a lot of the assembly uh, was done in uh, China, and then now it's more in um, Thailand or in, in Korea. Uh, but for me... The, the best toys and the best experience that I've had making toys are with the toys that we make in Japan. Um, just outside of Tokyo, there are these incredible family-owned factories uh, that used to make all the toys in Japan until most of the toy production moved off to uh, Thailand uh, and a little bit China, but most Japanese toys are made in Thailand, uh, like, you know, like the Power Ranger robots or, mm -hmm. or the Sofubi, like the Ultraman figures and monsters and things, right? Um, so we, we use the actual factories that where all the old Ultraman monsters used to be made. These, uh, the, the material is called Sofubi or soft vinyl. And we've been making figures based on uh, another, the other crypto, cryptozoology. Uh, we've been making figures uh, on Mothman and the Flatwoods monster and all sorts of uh, mythological or to some people very real uh, creatures. Uh, 
in fact, some some have been inducted into the Mothman Museum in West Virginia or the Flatwoods Monster Museum also in West Virginia. Oh, wow, that's cool. I, I love that. that. That's been... The family-oriented... Um, like, I was actually going to ask you, and I'm going to have to DM you now, but I was curious with some of the connections that you had if, you know, I know that to do, like, a big multi-production run or... But, you know, if, you're, if you just have... You know, you want to do a small run, even just a few items. It, it, it's it's cool to think that there's also, you know, families out there that you may have connections with that probably a lot of creators in the space could utilize. And uh, and I'm sure that you've already had conversations with some some of them. But it's just so cool to think of like these small time, you know, they're handcrafted production and uh, that they can that they can find their own way to kind of in, get involved in this community to help um, to help artists kind of do those types of things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, making toys in general, making, say, 10 to 30,000 of something would be considered a very tiny run. Uh, and, and, and then at that small quantity, it's going to be tremendously expensive per piece. Um, you know, and, and that, that's one process. But then, yeah, there's these little factories that, we're, that we know of um, and, and in, in Japan. And then there's a kind of a cottage industry coming up in South Korea where you can make just 50 of something, right? And it's, it's very minimal cost. It's, it's quite wonderful. One day I'll have to put up a Twitter post or maybe very soon of the whole process. Yeah. And who, who all out there is involved and who you can turn to for if you are interested in. I, th I think so many people would uh, love uh, that because I know there's so many creators that I've even talked to that talk about how cool it would be to bring their digital, you know, their figures to life uh, because they've never done that. And, and knowing that there's these little manufacturers out there that, you know, you don't have to do a big line uh, and you can kind of just kind of work with a family. I think uh, I think that is a tremendous opportunity in this space. Um, I'm going to have to DM you a little more about that too because that's that's really a, a cool thing that I think uh, this space can utilize but uh, Dopeness is up here and I wanted to give him the chance to talk. Dopeness, always good to have you on stage. What's going on, man? Thanks, Crazy Carl. Uh, I have to say uh, thanks again for uh, hosting these shows and bringing David onto the scene. I think, uh, first of all, his vibe and his um, experience and knowledge is so uh, impactful for all the artists out there that are making this just, you know, dope art and are trying to marry the the digital with the physical world. Um, as Andreessen said, you know, he thinks it's going to be a nice blend. And people uh, mentioned the other day that, when he was creating his uh, artwork that eventually sold for 69 million, Gary V sent out a uh, production team to actually document the whole experience. And I think they finished it. They're going to be releasing it during um, uh, NFT NYC. And it's going to be, uh, in my opinion, uh, something to, to kind of get, get a hold of. But um uh, David, I, I just wanted to say thank you again for sharing your uh, your journey and, and, and sharing where, um, you know, all these intricacies, you know, I've been to East Asia too, sourcing uh, factories, getting, you know, some mud on my boots and uh, really going out there and, and really seeing these craftsmen that are just uh, truly excellent where, um, you know, I think a lot of the art um, is world-class, 
and it's difficult to find production teams um, and actual factories that can you know handle um, the quality that I think this community is looking for um, so my question to you is about ugly um, um, dolls going into the movie business so the, the release um, that I mean the the lineup I don't know if anybody's heard it's definitely you should check it out on Wikipedia, but Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Pitbull, you know, they were all part of this. Um, and then the production team who uh, put this together, I mean, they're no one to kind of uh, glaze your eyes over, you know, STX films, they're pretty big with pretty big backing behind them. Um, could you maybe talk to us a little bit about, because there are all these, um, you know, different projects and communities where, the owners of the NFTs have the IP, and a lot of people are kind of interested to maybe turn their NFT into some sort of revenue generating, potentially being used in, in, a, in a movie, and how that whole um, process or that relationship organically evolved, and how they selected you to kind of uh, be showcased. Sure, of course. Uh, that, that whole, our experience in the animation world was very much a 20-year-long <clears throat> process where we started out with that one show in Japan uh, on NHK that ran every weekday morning called Little Boney. And it was like a preschool show, just very early morning. It's about stretching your limbs and getting ready for the day sort of thing. Um, and we got that by looking at the back of the packaging on the video game Parappa the Rapper. Uh, if you've ever heard of Parappa the Rapper, uh, on PlayStation from well, like 1997 or so, maybe, <laughs> or 99. <laughs> yeah. um, on the back of the CD jewel case, there was a little copyright that said Rodney Allen Greenblatt slash Interlink. And I thought, wait a minute, Rodney Allen Greenblatt, he's like uh, these one of these tremendous artists from like, who came up with Warhol. And he was really well known for his CD-ROM work in the early 80s. And he was in like the Whitney I thought, what is he doing making like a PlayStation game? This is crazy. So he made the prop of the rapper characters and, and did all of the actual visual design for the game. And I thought, well, what is this Interlink thing? Uh, so I looked them up and then Interlink was a rep in Japan uh, specializing in bringing over Western artists to work uh, in Japan, which is like the home of characters and, and illustration and, and you know they still have even today they still have tower records and, and magazine stands and bookstores and it, being an illustrator and the character world is very much still critical and very important there and and if you know where to go it's actually one of the easiest places to make your characters widely known and 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 widely loved uh it's actually much easier than in, in the u.s where it used to be a lot easier but now in the u.s we pretty much if you're in New York and L.A., you've got these great shops that are highly influential and you stick something in the right window and it impacts an enormous amount of people and culture. But the rest of the country is mostly Target, Walmart, right, um, where we are right on the border of uh, farmland here in Texas. The coolest place in town is is this really new clean Target that just opened up. So whereas in Japan, you if you learn what to do and where to put things, you can make certain things and have them presented in certain retail surroundings that then kind of build context for the core customer of character culture in Japan, which is um, older women, right? Not, not necessarily children. 
Um, and then that, that kind of has a ripple effect or it can have a ripple effect throughout the rest of Asia. So we focused on that, doing that. Uh, and then getting the show and working on the early stages of Ugly Doll uh, got us a meeting with Cartoon Network in, I think, our first six months or so. Uh, it was Linda Siminski who reached out at the time. Now she's, I believe she was at PBS for the last 20 years, but she reached out after reading about an article about us in Giant Robot magazine. She kind of introduced us to everybody we know in animation now. Uh, so originally, Ugly Doll was a show at Cartoon Network. And as shows usually go, it was in development for a few years. And then, you know, executives come and go, and the new executives usually don't want the projects from the previous generation. So um, we brought Ugly, uh, Ugly Doll just wasn't anywhere for a year or so. We developed other shows at Nickelodeon that, um, you know, got as far as a pilot, et cetera, and then those didn't go anywhere. But by the way, that's like the norm. Most most shows, like if you if you Google Kid Robot Paramount Pictures right now, you'll find a release from 10 years ago about how there's a movie deal with Kid Robot, right? But the 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 norm is that that's it, right? Uh, and, and the freak, weird, miracle chance that something actually hits the airwaves or a theater, that's, that's the, those are the outliers. <laughs> uh, so, so we've always been developing stuff with, we, we've developed projects with pretty much every major studio. Um, Ugly Doll, the one that we were really excited about uh, was with Illumination. Uh, we met Chris Modondri, uh, like, I think 15 years ago or so, a few years before he started Illumination when he was still um, doing Horton Hears Who on in uh, at at, uh, at at Fox, I think it was. And he said, "I'm starting this new company. I I, I love the books you guys." He was he was into the books more than the plush. He he found the Ugly Doll books, and and wanted to bring those to the <clears throat> screen. So if if that if that had gone through, um, it would have been based on the books. If you've ever seen those, the Ugly Guides to the Ugly Verse. Um, and and we we actually wrote and boarded all that, and I think that that was closest to our vision creatively, and that was a joy. You know, like years we spent working on that, and we're still very close with him, and we're still constantly um, going back and forth with Illumination about other stuff. But that that like most projects also didn't become a theatrical release. But the top guy from Universal who bought Illumination then started STX with a few other people from Universal and other studios we knew. And then they said, well, it didn't work out with Illumination, but we would still like, you know, we I still love Ugly Doll, so bring it over to this new company we're doing. Um, we met Robert Rodriguez, who wanted to be, uh, who wanted to write it and initially direct it. Um, the, mo the movie came out, but actually once Robert left the project, we were, we were also no longer involved, just, just based on logistically, like we were living in Korea. So we came out to Texas to be near Robert, but then when, when he was out, um, it was it was harder for us to, to balance Texas and Korea and Japan and Los Angeles just became harder. It was about like my kids being in the same school for more than a year or so, you know, so um, we, we didn't work on the actual movie that you see, um, but got, you know, got to, be, be involved in the I think we got as far as when everybody was cast and Kelly Clarkson did an amazing job uh you know with with the voices and and the musicians and everyone else involved I, I like the songs the soundtrack was pretty great um 
yeah, so it was it was more of a 20 year process of just living through that project and all of our other projects in, in various stages. Um, the show that we're the most involved in is now with Bossy Bear, uh, the, the nounified version of the guy in my icon, uh, in my PFP now. Um, he's from a kid's book we did with, you know, through Disney publishing 20 years ago, right? And the books did okay, but the toys sold like crazy. So we it was more this one's more like our vision so whether the show stinks or not i have no idea but but it this will be closer to like a like if you like bossy bear the show once that comes out that's that's really like what we're we're on 24 7 these days that's a it was a great question uh dopeness because one thing that while you were explaining your answer to that i just could not stop thinking about how uh web 3 and the borderless ecosystem that's being created just is such a game changer as you were talking about the whole process of how things have evolved for you it's like when you think back 20 years ago well really 30 30 to 40 years ago you didn't even really have a wide reaching internet to even be able to uh communicate, direct message, uh, stuff like that. Um, and so even just 20 years ago is a, is a totally different world in terms of communication. And so it's got to make you think too, just like how fast ideas and uh, things can spread in this new ecosystem uh, that uh, when you were kind of trying to leverage and get your your ideas uh, acknowledged and kind of create an ecosystem it was it was a lot harder because you had to put you had to go and on the actual ground level and like it, it's just it's it's crazy to hear your story because you start to realize how slow you had to grind and it makes you respect the work that you've put in too because just hearing that you've been on the ground level for that long uh, and, and and now with this new ecosystem, how fast ideas can spread. It's just insane. Oh, it's not going to be like that. Like what I just described, I left out at like the, the, you know, the hours of pain in between each of those steps, but, but uh, it's, it's not necessary. Um, you, you can still, if that's the world that you're in love with, you got to go for it. Right. I, I believe that we all suffer if you don't bring out what you were born to do. And if you were born to do uh, you know, Cartoon Network, then you got it. You got to go for it. But I think that at the same time, I I can't imagine that media and entertainment will still remain the same. It, it there's no way because definitely already my consumer products world and the licensing model. I mean that that's it. That walk go to the licensing show as fast as you like if you can. If they have another licensing show, go because it may be the last <laughs> it may be the last chance you ever get to see one. Because I don't, I don't think it's going to resemble anything like the world that I came from. So I can't imagine that the process that I had to go through would be the same for everybody in the room here. I, I, I don't think so. I think it'll, it's going to be so speedy, and it's going to be whatever you want. I think you, you know, you, you guys in here are going to be calling the shots. I really, I really believe it. Yeah, it's a, and and I think that uh, the 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 joy and the passion that you bring to this community, you can feel because you see the potential of a better world that can uh, come from the the creator side of uh, all of this. And so, having such a successful brand, having successful shows and books and toys, it's just awesome to hear you in this space with the passion that you have, wanting to learn and continue to grow. And I just really appreciate 
you take in time to actually be super involved in the community. I was talking about how you're always in this show, but you, you're not in the background. You know, you're not just putting out creations. You're really involved learning about the ecosystem. And uh, we really appreciate that you're here and that you can be a mentor to a lot of people in this space. So if you don't already follow David, you definitely should. He's going to be a thought leader as the space grows because he's been in the, he, he has a lot of connections that he can help uh, people with. So thank you so much, David, for being an advocate for, for Web3 in the future. Oh, thank, thank all of you. I mean, I, I've, I've learned so much and I'm still just, it's just been a tremendous learning experience. Uh, the, the one thing that I think will be true very soon is that my experience almost won't matter pretty soon. Like it, like you'll hear a lot of, well, I've been in this for 20 years. So like, well, that's wonderful, but it, it's, uh, I'm happy to help anyone who needs help with any, anything from where I came from. It's a joy to be able to offer assistance if I can be of any, but I also think that the rule book is if there is going to be one at all, is going to be completely rewritten. So mm -hmm. it's fascinating. I love yeah. it. I absolutely love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being here and for being a pioneer in this movement, just like you have been in uh, in media and cartoons for the last two decades. And here you are again. It's funny how uh, so many of the thought leaders and so many successful people, brands, have uh, and leaders in in ideas and creators have been making their way to the space because they just, as soon as they start to understand it, they they go in full immersion mode and. Uh, uh, you're you're just along the same line. So we're really happy that you're here. All right, guys, if you missed any part of the show, I'll make sure to get it up uh, and recorded. This has been a great episode to kind of learn uh, from David about the entire journey and the legacy system, how we've evolved into Web3 and um, some of the benefits and joys of, that we're getting to work through now in developing this. Uh, so please make sure to check out the podcast if you missed any of the show. This has been another production of Guttercat Studios. All conversations with Crazy Carl are for educational purposes only. You should never take financial advice from a cat or anybody really, especially financial advisors. Take control of your own financial future and do your own research always. That's all for now. Until next time, we'll see you in the metaverse.